0: Our scripture reading for today comes from Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what are, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They said to them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may
1: or you may not be aware of this, but there were actually two parades on palm sunday not one but two two different types of processions to very different purposes and today we get to decide which one we want to be in now the first one we're pretty familiar with it involves jesus and a donkey We know more about that one, but here's a little refresher for us based on the scripture that Margaret just read. Jesus has been traveling by foot around the countryside. We've been able to participate in much of his ministry as we've walked through the gospel of Mark throughout this Lenten season. But now Jesus is heading to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Passover, and Mark need not explain this to his audience, is a huge religious observance, almost a holiday of sorts, that remembers and celebrates God's deliverance to the Israelites from bondage to Egypt and into relationship with God. And Jesus, he plans to make this entrance on a donkey. So he tells two unnamed disciples to go find a certain young donkey. He's very specific here, one that hasn't ever been ridden, and bring it to him. In very Mark style, he tells them to do this immediately. Mark actually uses the word immediately, some translation or form of it, 41 times in his gospel. He is either really passionate or in a super big hurry. Now, the disciples don't likely realize that this donkey is some part of God's cosmic plan to save the earth. They probably feel more like they're being made to go on a Starbucks run, so maybe some rolling of eyes, they oblige nonetheless. They tell the perplexed owners, hey, don't worry about it. Once we're done, we've been told to bring this donkey back to you immediately. And we'll do that. We're just going to borrow it. So here it is. It's Passover. As Jesus begins, he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey. And pe- people are cheering much as you saw our children do today. They're wavering greenery and palm branches. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Less well known for us, likely, but perhaps more well-known for the people in Jerusalem is the other parade. The Roman imperial procession that also entered Jerusalem for Passover from the other side of the city, from the other gate. Now, this is not written about in Scripture, but it is one of those fantastic nuggets that, historians and archaeologists have dug up for us that actually shed some light on the scripture that we're reading today. It happened every year. The Roman governor of Judea, whose residence was in Caesarea, rode up the coast to Jerusalem to be present in the city during the festival. With him came soldiers and cavalry to reinforce the imperial garrison in Jerusalem. Then during Passover, while the festival was going on, they would make a big show of processing through the streets of the city on large war horses in their full regalia with banners, showing off their military might and prowess. Now, why the big show? Why do this? Well, the crowds for the festival were often enormous. The population would swell to nearly four times its normal size. Civil unrest, protests about Roman rule, riots, these things were not uncommon. It was a reminder to the people. Sure, we'll we'll allow you to celebrate this festival about your freedom. Sure, absolutely. But we've got our thumb right here. You're still under our rule. It's clear what Pilate, because he was the governor, what this procession is all about. It's about pomp and power of the empire. Its purpose was to intimidate, to use its power to convey status, to dominate. But what about Jesus's procession entry? What kind of statement did that make? Well, Jesus makes two statements in his procession that I think pretty clearly demonstrate his purpose. In Mark, which is what we think the first of the Gospels to be written, we see that Jesus has clearly given this entry a lot of thought. Now, as it turns out, and I know you're going to be shocked, Jesus didn't ride in on a donkey just because he needed the ancient uh, equivalent of an Uber. But because he wanted to, thank you for the one laugh, I, I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, but because he wanted to make a statement about prophecy. To be exact, that he was the living fulfillment of prophecy that happens in the ninth chapter or is recorded in the ninth chapter of Zechariah that probably every Hebrew man, woman, priest, Sadducees, Pharisees would have been familiar with. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is saying to the people, hey, this is me, this is me, I'm the guy, the one riding on the donkey, I'm your king. Now, the second statement that he makes is really in the sheer contrast of this parade to the other parade. Now, picture the scene. Jesus is a grown man. We're not really sure how tall, but he climbs on this donkey, not even an adult donkey. It's a little donkey, kind of a baby, a foal. He would have looked ridiculous, certainly not proud and strong like the victors riding the large stallions and war horses through the city. And as he rode the streets, the people who were followers of him were waving palm branches, not banners. There was no guard that followed him, no court that followed behind him. Scripture says that they throw down cloaks before him, but given that the followers of Jesus were normally the most impoverished and outcast of society, likely historians say they were just rags, pieces of clothing that they would have had to throw out. In every way, this parade mocked the ways in which the leader of the day were putting their own power on display. And in every way, Jesus was pointing to the true power of God, found in humility, in vulnerability, in grace. There is a point made by Jesus here in how this parade is carried out, a point that all the eyes who were watching him, and they were watching him, did not miss. I am your king, but I'm not that kind of king. So I find myself wondering, which parade would we follow? Would we follow the one that is powerful and is only concerned by maintaining power over others at all costs? But gosh, it sure does look pretty. Or the one behind the guy on the donkey that leads to the cross. Hosanna, the people all around Jesus cry, save us, or depending on how you interpret it, as a cry of anticipation or adoration, perhaps Savior. In either case, The cry captures the hopes, the pleas, the dreams of this people who are worn down by occupation, by feeling like exiles and strangers in their own land who have little day-to-day hope of improving their lot in life. So they turn to Jesus, they cheer for him. And I think it's really easy for us to say, oh, yes, that's, that's us. We're Hosanna people. We're going to follow those people for sure. There's no other option, right? But perhaps we should question our motives, maybe dig just a little bit deeper. Do we actually want the transformation that Christ offers on Palm Sunday as he journeys to the cross. Are we bold enough to actually cry the words as the people did then with desperation Hosanna save us or are we comfortable in our own independence our status we've got this covered and we think do we really even need him at all unless there's some emergency some issue and look I've been there. I've bargained with God more times than I'm proud to admit. You know, it's the one, okay, God, please, if if you'll just do this, then I'll do this. If you'll fill in the blank X, then I promise that I will be good and do these things Y for the rest of my life. I just want you to fix it. Deliver me from it. But do I really want to be transformed? If you're like me, the last time you even uttered or thought of the word Hosanna was, well, probably about a year ago, last Sunday. And in this one Sunday, we sure say it a lot. Hosanna is an interesting sort of word, not one we're going to use in daily life. But it does speak to what we should say each and every day. You know, Christianity as an ongoing program of self-improvement, just, hey, deliver me, make me better, fix me, is rather attractive. But Christianity as giving up the ghost of my vain expectations of looking outward towards the needs of others rather than inward to my own hopes, well, that's a little harder to get excited about. Now, self-improvement validates the importance of self And it's not a bad thing, but certainly commitment to service based on Christ's example does clarify it greatly. Perhaps the reality is that we just don't want to humble ourselves enough like the one who rode in on a donkey, enough to desperately wave our palms and acknowledge how very much we need God's mercy each and every day. Hosanna, save us. Save us from what? Are we brave enough to say it? Save us from anger, from illness, from depression. Save us from debt, from strife in our family, from the endless cycle of violence in the world. Save us from humiliation, from insomnia, from bitterness, from... Arrogance, save us from loneliness. Save us, God, save us from our own fears that rule us. Hosanna, save us. Please, God, take those broken places that tear us apart and make them whole. We beseech you, God, Hosanna. To join in the Jesus parade, though, we have to be willing to understand our own need for what it is. It's a parade of grace. Jesus prepares to march into the center of life and culture, the center of his earthly power, with a vulnerability that will get him killed, ultimately. This is not the kind of parade that we naturally seek out, but this is a parade of grace and one that will fulfill and redeem us and turn us away from sin each and every time. It will transform us. The cross that we're led to points not to pride or perfection or judgment, it points to humility, to grace, to love to dependence on Christ. The truth that Jesus points to is the truth that God loves us just as we are, but definitely loves us enough to not leave us there. The first words of Mark's gospel stand true. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Mark says, And that does not change. But this parade is one that will change the world if we follow it. And he's calling each one of us to join him. As we enter into this holy week, let us too join this parade. Let us too shout, Hosanna, God, save us. It is you that we need each and every day. And thanks be to God for the invitation. Amen.